All right, thank you, brother. Whoops, hold on just a minute, folks. I hit the wrong button. Uh, give me just a second. I beg your pardon. Um, I know that um, that silence is, is one of the worst things uh, when you're on the air, but, uh, and I'm sorry, I've, I've done that uh, tonight, but I apologize. Uh, we are talking about uh, biblical faith, and um, one of the most uh, familiar uh, phase, uh, uh, phrases in the Christian religion is that we are saved by faith um, in, in the Protestant realm. And in many ways, those five words summarize uh, the core idea of that Protestant religious system. We're saved by faith. Now, our goal this evening is to uh, dig into the Word of God, and, and let's see if we can identify what saving faith is all about. I will tell you that on the surface, the expression we are saved by faith is biblically accurate. There is a relationship between faith and salvation, but faith leads to salvation. But first of all, let, let me affirm that we are definitely saved on the basis of faith and not by any self-notorious works or any personal righteousness that we might devise or try to equip. But the faith that saves us is not just a, a general, all-purpose type, all type of faith. The faith that removes the guilt of our sin, the faith that grants us eternal life and a joyful union with God without fear or, or without shame, um, is, is found in the word of God. And there are three considerations and that's what we're going to look at this evening. Consideration number one, comprehension. A faith that saves that begins with the elementary fundamentals of the gospel message. Now a person doesn't have to be good at math in order to be saved. And, and that's a good thing because if that was a requirement, I think I'd be lost. In fact, I know I would be. But a person does have to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. There are some things that we need to comprehend and understand. Now, the beauty of the, of the uh, biblical faith is that it can be understood and it can be profitable for everyone. I'm talking from the scholar all the way down to the person who has little or no education. Saving faith grasps the fundamental problem that each person has. Paul tells us that Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, saving faith understands and I accept the sad reality that I have sinned against God. But in Romans 6, we find this message. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, saving faith understands the consequences of sin. Now, here's another truth that saving faith comprehends. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 and 25, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might uh, die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds, you were healed. Saving faith understands, comprehends the divinely given remedy of sin and where we can access that cure for our sins. 
Saving faith understands the response that God requires of us. I know many in the religious world are confused, but James explains. James 1, 21 and 22, put aside, put aside all filthiness and superfluity of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But notice this. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's essential that we understand what James is saying and what he isn't saying. He is saying the word of God teaches us what we must do to be saved. And he's also saying that action or obedience on our part is required. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word. In the next chapter, chapter, James revisits this truth of active faith or obedient faith. In James chapter 2, verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. You see, saving faith understands how those who believe in Jesus demonstrate their faith according to God's commands. For example, in Mark 16, Jesus teaches, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not believed shall be condemned. Again, a person doesn't have to know all the teachings of the Bible, but without knowing and understanding the basic truths of salvation, there can be no salvation. I mean, God doesn't save us without our knowledge of faith and understanding of what it means to be saved, what it requires to be saved. He doesn't save us without our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Salvation, saving faith, requires a certain understanding. And, and that's why children who are too young uh, to have uh, mentally gotten to the point where they understand those basic realities, those who perhaps are uh, mentally struggling, they're not subject to the gospel. They're not subject to the judgment. Why? Well because they lack the first component, the first condition of saving faith through no fault of their own. Saving faith has a basis of understanding and knowledge. And, and no one goes to heaven by accident or without their knowledge and understanding. Consideration number two, concession. Now, now here's what I mean by concession. Concession, by definition, of course, is an open declaration, an act of the will that we accept some idea or some concept as true. Now, many people know the particulars of the gospel. They understand its meaning. They understand its claim. But they've decided that, that it's not true, or at least they've decided they're not going to obey it and end up rejecting it. And saving faith requires concession because it's this decision in our minds, our hearts, that leads us to the third consideration of saving faith, and that is compliance. Saving faith, it, it comprehends the message of the gospel. It concedes that it's true. The gospel is true. And in response, it complies. It obeys. Now, that, that, that's where a strong majority of the Protestant religions disagree with what the, the Bible teaches. Now, they teach that saving faith is a combination of comprehension and concession, but nothing more. 
it, it's what they mean when they say that we are saved by faith alone. Now, the Bible teaches us that obedience is a natural part of faith. It's inherent in the word. James 2, 21 and 22, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? And you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, his obedience, faith was perfected or brought to its completion. James is calling on us to demonstrate our faith by doing something, by obeying what God has commanded, what Christ has commanded. That's how Peter could tell the Roman centurion in Acts 10, 34 and 35. I certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. I like what the King James or how the King James words that verse. Uh, then Peter opened his mouth and said of the truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, here's something I really like about the, uh, the KGV that, that, that means a lot and, and helps us understand the ETH endings, uh, other than being a tongue twister, uh, are almost always indicates that the action which is being addressed is a continuous action. Now, in this case, the person, regardless of their background, nationality, or whatever, the person who fears God and continues to fear him, the person who works righteousness and continues to work righteousness is accepted with him. The Bible calls that obedience. See if these verses um, ring true to you. John 3, 36, who, who, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Romans 6, 16, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Still again, the writings of Paul, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 9, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now here it is, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues, these will pay a penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I, I know that you saw the relationship between faith and obedience. Hebrews 5, 9, and having been made perfect, he, Christ, became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. You see, saving faith comprehends the gospel. It concedes the gospel is true and complies with what the Bible teaches. Our, our mind, our heart is instructed through saving faith. Our, our heart is divinely engulfed when joined by obedient faith. And Jesus explains how that's accomplished. In John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, he made this statement, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, how, there, how are we going to be drawn? It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me and, in, and inherit in that is obedience. Now the exertion of saving faith enables the believer to grasp the essence of spiritual life. And saving faith enables the spirit to be empowered. Now, do we have that kind of faith? And the invitation of Christ is based on those truths. I I understand that many in the religious world uh, stop at faith. Um, They they consider uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 1, we are justified by faith. Um, and somehow insert the word alone in that verse. But uh, alone is, is not mentioned in Romans 5.1. In fact, the only time that faith alone is uh, mentioned in the Bible is in James chapter 2, and it's preceded by the negative not by faith alone. Oh, I, I, I know where they get it from. They They... Uh, look to Calvin, and uh, in fact, Calvin uh, so believed James 5, I mean, excuse me, Romans 5, 1, so very much that when he got to the book of James, well, he, he didn't think that James was inspired because he saw that James' message uh, were not saved by faith alone, but by works, as contrasting Romans 5, 1. Well, Paul and James were not in and odds uh, or at odds with one another? Absolutely not. Now, in fact, their uh, their teaching is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's true, just as true as anything else in the Bible is true. But what they fail to understand is that inherent in the word faith is obedience. In fact, we've read several scriptures tonight that join those two things together. Are we saved by faith? Yes, we are saved by faith, but not faith alone. We are saved by faith that responds to the gospel message in trust. Yes, confidence, absolutely, but in obedience as well. You know, it's interesting to me that when we read about faith, uh, many times uh, folks fail to, to, to make the connection uh, with, the, with the truth about faith in, in that it's, uh, it's not just something that's personal. Um, it, it's not something that is simply something that I have, and you may have a different kind of faith. Uh, not if we're going to be policing to God. Not if we're going to honor Christ, his son. And not if we're going to be a part and a member um, of the family of God, the church of God, the church of Christ. And certainly not if we plan to go to heaven. No, faith, faith is something that moves. Faith is something that responds to the commandments of God. I, I don't know who pointed this uh, next statement out, but man, I'm so glad that they did. Hebrews chapter 11 is the uh, roll call of faith, the heroes roll, roll call of faith. And, and it truly is. There, there uh, is a list of men and women who did 
and some wonderful things by faith. But I want you to notice that in Hebrews chapter 11, that their faith is recognized in obedience. There's a verb associated with their faith. Um, they, they believed, they obeyed, uh, they did whatever they did by faith. And then I, I appreciate so very much Hebrews chapter 12. If we look at the first two or three verses, we understand that the Hebrew writer declares that we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. In fact, he points uh, to those witnesses, and many times folks wonder who he's talking about. Well, he's talking about all those people in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 who lived by faith. They lived and died by faith and in their obedience to God. I believe what the Hebrew writer is telling us is that we have those cloud of witnesses that surround us. It's, it's almost as if we were uh, in a stadium, uh, say a baseball stadium, and uh, the cloud of witnesses are sitting in the stands and they're all around us and we're in the middle. And, and, and what they're telling us is that, look, you can do this. You, you can obey the gospel. You can live faithfully. Uh, you, you can serve God and honor him and bring him glory and reach the lost and teach the lost so they'll be saved. And he reminds us, the Hebrew writer does, that we look to Jesus because he is the author and the completer, the finisher of our faith. And I'm thankful that he is. You know, something else that I'm thankful for, and actually I believe, in fact, I know it, it's, it's an indication of how much God loves us because in his word, he's given us what we need to understand, what we need to know in order to be saved. In fact, when I pick up my Bible, I, I read, as you do, that uh, we must have faith. We must believe if we're going to become a child of God. But I want you to notice by something about that. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of Christ or the word of God, whichever translation or version that you might have. In other words, it's, it's, it's an understanding and, and an obedience to what Christ has commanded us in his word. Um, we, can do, uh, we can read even further um, in, in our New Testament, and, and we can read where repentance is absolutely essential to our salvation. In fact, if, if we do not repent, we're going to perish. Uh, repentance in this case, I, th I think, is a, um, a change of, of heart. Uh, we're no longer, no longer going to serve ourselves, but we're going to serve God. We're, we're going to change our life uh, to honor him in obedience to what he's commanded. Uh, Paul, when he was before Agrippa, uh, summarized his ministry, his preaching, in that he taught people to repent and to bring forth works worthy of repentance. So we know that repentance is not just something that we say to ourselves or, or decide in ourselves. It's something that's evident. I mean, you understand if a, if a person lies, 
Well, if they're going to repent of lying, they're, they're going to stop telling lies, aren't they? Um, so repentance is absolutely essential. Then as we continue reading, we understand that we are uh, commanded to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And, and for that, I'm grateful. I am so thankful that I have an opportunity, and I know you are as well, that we can say, I believe that Jesus, he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. That's exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch acknowledged and confessed uh, to Philip. You remember? Um, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Peter said, do you believe? (laughs) And he said, absolutely. I believe that Christ is a son of the living God. Well, many times that's where uh, Christians and the rest of the religious uh, world part ways. Because the Bible does teach that we are to be immersed in water for the remission of our sins. Oh, Mark 16, 15 and 16, Acts 2, 38, um, uh, 1 Peter 3, 21. Every example of conversion uh, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, uh, is, is focused and centered and found in obedience to the gospel, particularly Immersion in water for the remission of sins. You know, I I know a lot of times folks kind of get confused about obedience. Uh, King Saul was, remember in 1 Kings, he, uh, God gave him the very specific command. Saul, I want you to go to, uh, to Agag and the Amalekites, and I want you to destroy every one of them. I want you to kill every person from the king down. Don't leave anyone alive. Slay them all. And the animals, everything about the Amalekites. Well, Saul went out with his army and they did what they did and and came back. And Saul said, Samuel, I've done what the Lord's commanded me to do. And Samuel said, you have? Oh, yes, sir. He said, how is it that I hear the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the ox? Oh, Oh, the people brought those back to to offer them as a sacrifice to God. Well, Agag was standing right in front of him. And you'll remember uh, what Samuel said to Saul, uh, that obedience is what God requires. It's not a matter of making uh, the right sacrifice or making a sacrifice. Even if they'd offered them to God, they wouldn't have been the right sacrifice because that's not what God said. Yes, the Bible teaches us what to do to be saved. And my friend, if you're not a member of the Lord's church, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you uh, to consider what the Bible teaches. Faith, absolutely, must have it. We cannot please God without faith, Hebrews eleven six. But faith demands that we obey. So we repent, we confess and in immersion for the remission of sins. Our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ, and God adds us to his church, not to any man's church, but to his church. And for that, I'm thankful. Well, I appreciate so very much uh, your time uh, together this evening. Uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to be with you and to have a time to study the word of God uh, with you. It's been a joy 
Thank you for all the good works that you're, you're doing in obedience to what the Bible teaches us to do. And before I turn this back over to Jonathan, uh, if you don't mind, let, let's pray, uh, if you would, for just a moment. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for you. We're, we're thankful for your goodness. We are thankful for your love, your care, your compassion. Thank you, Father, for giving us your son. Thank you for the example that he lived while he was on this earth. Complete obedience to you. Yes, he, he was tempted as we are, but without sin. And we rejoice in that. We're thankful for his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Father, we know that the power is in his blood, and for that we're grateful. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity to, to teach that message and to obey that message and to encourage others to obey it as well. Father, we're thankful for your church, your son's um, blood purchased the church. And we're thankful to be a part of that family. And we're thankful that Christ is the head of the church. And we are so grateful, Father, for the people who have obeyed and will obey uh, the gospel of Christ. We're thankful for their good influence in all that they do to honor you. And Father, we pray that you'll be with uh, Jonathan and Eric and their families and all the good works that they are doing. And again, Father, that you might be honored and blessed in all that we say and do. We thank you. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.